Well, our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 63, as I've mentioned before. Psalm 63, I will tell you a, a, a bit of a story here about this and why I'm uh, particularly uh, looking at this today. As we've finished up 2 Corinthians, we're in between uh, series, so I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, present some messages that speak to particular uh, needs that seem to be pressing in upon us uh, in our congregation and, of course, uh, grieving the grief that comes with loss and sorrow and affliction is something that uh, we're aware of as uh, something that's happening more often than we'd like in our congregation. So these words here from this, this precious psalm, Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, uh, seemed appropriate at this time to consider. So if you would please stand with me as you're able for the reading of God's holy word. Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. So David has been writing, uh, has written this. Uh, while he was fleeing from Saul in the wilderness of Judah. Quite remarkable words, is it not? Uh, for someone who is fleeing for his life uh, with a band of soldiers and a larger band behind him uh, with, uh, with the intention of putting him to death should they catch him. And here is this cry of David's heart that he is seeking God earnestly with all that uh, he has within him. And where he finds his comfort out there in the wilderness is rather remarkable in what he says. We're going to take a look at all of these things. But this particular, uh, this particular psalm is very precious in our family as well. Uh, back in 1998, when my wife had cancer, uh, this psalm was precious to us and the insert that you have in the bulletin there of the text of Psalm 63 was one that I wrote uh, for her during that time. And uh, it's been a, a 
it's been a psalm that we've turned to again and again when we have been in times of distress and sorrow and affliction. Because it is so easy to forget that our God is with us when we look around at, at the storm, at the affliction, at the trial that is around us. It can be very easy to have the question come up in our hearts and minds, Lord God, where are you? Where are you? Um, when we're actually under his wings all the time. And so, as I was thinking about what to bring to you from the, the word today, and thinking about uh, Bob's situation and uh, the obvious and uh, understandable sorrows that come from the death of a beloved wife. It just seemed to me that, uh, though this, this, this message is not just for him, uh, though certainly I pray that it will be a blessing to him and to others who are sorrowing in the same way. But for all of us, as we experience the, the challenges of, of life, whatever they might be, and to find our comfort then in him, you know, when we are born again, become Christians by God's grace, that's a marvelous thing, is it not? Absolutely it is. We look back upon the day of our redemption with joy and with a sense of gratitude, I trust, we should. Um, and, and yet, there's something even better than that. Hold on there, hold on there with me. And that is that the grace that saved us doesn't stop there. The grace keeps going. The grace uh, doesn't just turn us around and head us toward heaven and then the Lord does something else. That grace to justify us, to, to uh, regenerate us, grant us faith, grant us repentance, justify us, adopt us, all of those wonderful things. That grace continues in our sanctification to nurture us, keep us, guide us unto glory. He is present with you, no matter how hard life gets around you. When nothing seems safe in this life, remember there is safety in the presence of God. And this psalm is all about God's presence. Verse 1 tells us that he is present with us in the wilderness. That's the... Uh, those wilderness experiences that we have are those times when we are tempted to wonder where God is. Certainly you can look at the scriptures and not just from the psalmist here as he's in the wilderness, but other times, think of the prophet Elijah, for example, when he was out in the wilderness and wondering, where's, where's God? And I'm alone and there's, you know, nobody loves me. I'm just going to go die, right? Hagar, out in the wilderness with Ishmael. I'm just going to crawl into this bush a little ways away from my son so I don't have to watch him die. I'm all alone. And, and it is in those times that the Lord comes alongside and says, you're not alone. I'm with you. I'm present with you. The wilderness that is swirling around you and your heart and mine this day, whatever it is, is not... Um, a place 
that, that is out of the Lord's guidebook. He's got the map. He knows where it is and he knows where you are. It seems like wilderness to us. It seems like uncharted territory to us. It seems like unanswered questions to us, whether it's the sorrows of loss, whether it's broken relationships, whatever it is. But our God is present in the wilderness. I thought of the prophet Isaiah where he says in chapter 35, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and uh, uh, Sharon. Um, the, The glory and the excellence, of course, speaking of the trees and the abundance. They were known for their vineyards and trees and all those sorts of things as opposed to the desert. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. No matter how far out in the wilderness you see yourself to be and may even actually be as far as man is concerned. You're not too far, so far, that God cannot reach you, cannot see you, cannot hear you. Your God is present with you in the wilderness, and he will turn that, even that wilderness into a place of blessing if you wait upon him. Secondly, this is something that's a little bit more normal, if you want to put it that way, in the way that we think. Um, there's a popular Christian song out now. It's been out for a little bit. Uh, called Go to Church. Anybody heard that? Anyway, I've listened to it a few times. I'm trying to remember now if there's anything that I would object to. I can't really remember anything specifically, but the general gist is, you know, no matter what's going on, I need to go to church. Um, and uh, it, it, it may not be the deepest theologically uh, oriented uh, song out there, but the sentiment of going to church to find comfort and to find God's word and to be encouraged is a sound one. It is one that is uh, in, uh, commanded of us in the scriptures not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And the whole picture of God's people from the very beginning is a corporate one that we come into the Lord's house with joy. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God, uh, right, than, than rule and be wealthy and have all the things that the world thinks are so important. I want to be where God's people are and where God particularly is. We read um, in, in our responsive reading about the Lord's presence in his temple, right? It's the same thought is here. In verses two and three, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. We need to come into the church to worship God. I mean, that's a Captain Obvious kind of statement. And yet, for many in this world, it's not so obvious. I've had many tell me, many 
tell me. I don't need to go to church. I got the wilderness. <laughs> wilderness, yes, God can be present there and, and often is. And we see evidences of his, uh, of his handiwork everywhere. Um, just this morning, uh, Eli took some gorgeous pictures of the sunrise up in the valley and uh, around our property and so on. And he was praising the Lord for uh, the Lord's power and goodness. And, and uh, as I looked at them, I praised the Lord for that. Um, all of us have probably had occasion to do that too. We take a picture of something we want to remember. That snapshot in our mind of here's something that is glorious around us. Yes, the Lord is present in the wilderness. But it is in the church where he has given his word, where he's given his, his, his uh, uh, teachers and disciplers and the encouragement of the body as a whole, one with the other, where we are governed by his word and not just emoting in response to a beautiful sunrise so that our worship can actually be intelligent and interactive with the God who made all things. God is present in the sanctuary. Yes, in the wilderness. But yes, in the sanctuary. In uh, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 9, we read, And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you've made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever, speaking to Solomon, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. What a beautiful promise. Compare that with Jesus' words in Matthew 18 and verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Our Lord is present here. There are times because of our sin, because of our confusion, because of our hurt, our sorrow, um, or simply our carelessness, that we may fail to see him as clearly as we should in, within the walls of this place within the company of God's people. We may think that, well, when I'm out and I'm quiet and I don't have any distractions around and I can just meditate upon uh, the, the forest and the sunrise and so on and so forth, that I can hear his voice more clearly. And yet, it is through his word that he speaks most clearly. It is here where that is, by his grace, preached and proclaimed and studied and meditated upon uh, with concentration uh, to the, uh, you know, exponentially uh, more because all of us are doing it at the same time together rather than just the power of one. Uh, it is the corporate power of the Holy Spirit moving among us as a body through his word. The, uh, take a look here at verse three. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, that's the, kind of, we look around and we think, oh yeah, the, the trappings, the beautiful things, the, the glorious music and all those sorts of things. And we see those things pictured, but what is the primary source of praise? I see those things, those are great. But verse three says, because your steadfast love, some translations have it as your loving kindness. It translates the word that is also translated elsewhere, mercy. It's speaking of God's covenant loyalty. Because your loyalty, your covenant loyalty, your faithfulness to your promises is better than life, my lips will praise you. The primary reason that he is praising God is not because he gets a warm, fuzzy feeling in, in a, a majestic or beautiful place, but because he's meditating upon what God has revealed in his word about himself 
regarding his character and his promises that he will never, ever fail. God is present in his sanctuary. This is where he reveals himself the most clearly in his word. And you may take comfort in that. Because covenant loyalty is best seen in the body of Christ that is gathered by him, nurtured by him, and encouraged by him. Now, we're going to jump down to verses uh, 6 and 7. We'll come back to 4 and 5 in a little bit. Um, But in verse 6 we read, uh, When I remember you upon my bed... Uh, Well, okay, I'll start at verse 5 because that's where the sentence starts. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. What the psalmist is saying here as he talks about being on his bed When are your sorrows, as a general rule, when do your sorrows seem the most grievous and heavy? At the end of the day, you're weary from the day. You've been slogging through the slop all day long. And everything seems magnified, and in the darkness, in that silence, everything just seems enormous. And we can lose sleep. We can be at our wit's end. All of those things. And then joy comes in the morning. A new day has arisen. There's new hope. There's new opportunities ahead. And we tend to be encouraged. I realize I'm speaking very generally. But this is something that the scriptures speak about. And I think all of us in our experience can resonate that this is a typical pattern that happens when we are particularly we're in the midst of some great trial or difficulty. So essentially when that sorrow, when that heaviness, when that affliction seems the worst, instead of saying, where is God? Recognize that when it's at the worst, God is there too. He's not just there in the sunshine to hold your hand and all of that. It's he is there in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the despair that you are facing. He is there. In Psalm 6, we read, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. And again, to cite Psalm 30, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 77 has some very similar sounding uh, statements as well. Of, on our bed, in, in agony of heart, um, because of betrayal, because of the, the psalmist's own sins, because of the trials that were around to where he's just, Lord, where are you? Even questioning God's very character. Um, have you forgotten to be gracious? Essentially, God, have you forgotten to be God? 
But then as he meditates upon the Lord and recognizes that the Lord is present with him, his whole heart changes there in Psalm 77. It's a beautiful picture as he goes from, you see, despair at the first half and joy and contentment in the second. So in that darkness, in the loneliness, when it feels like no one understands and no one's there, God is there. And then down to verse 9. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Some pretty in-your-face things to say. And yet, the judgment upon the wicked and those who oppose his people is stated over and over and over again that those who rebel against God and those who oppress his people will know God's punishment unless they repent. So the psalmist here is finding comfort in that in the midst of the fight that he's involved in, that God is present there too. If you go back through the book of Joshua and you look at the history of the conquest of Canaan, it's really interesting the number of different times when the children of Israel go to fight and the Lord reminds them, gives them instructions about whether don't touch these things, go ahead and take the spoils here, uh, but don't touch that, or take it all, or give it all to me, or whatever it might be, or, and giving instructions about, all right, set up this ambush, or take this particular strategy. When Israel um, pretended, put it that way, walked as if, and went about their business as if God wasn't there, they fell before their enemies. But when they depended upon God and recognized that the battle was the Lord's and not theirs, and gave him the glory and walked in obedience unto him, then the walls of Jericho fell. And that story repeated of victory over God's enemies again and again and again when they recognized that, as the statement is, God will fight for us. And God will fight for you as you go about serving him faithfully. When the afflictions come, whether it's human affliction, whether it's illness, whether it's loss, whether, um, by human affliction I mean like illness, or if it's the opposition of, of enemies or people who you thought were your friends, God is in the fight with you, and you will not perish. Isaiah 41, verses 10 and 11 read this way, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. And why is that? Because of the strength of our arm? Because of the, the, the incredible depth of our wisdom and understanding and cleverness of being able to express it? Or taking some other... Um, weapons of the flesh in order to uh, uh, put our enemies in their place? No. The reason that his enemies will be put down is because God is the one who is fighting for us. He is the one who is with us and is because of his presence 
then that we must not be dismayed. For as the psalmist says in Psalm 91, a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you because your God is present in the fight. That really comes full circle and covers every aspect. He's with us in, in wilderness and emptiness and loneliness. He's with us in times of blessing and joy and worship in the company of God's people, in what we might say in the glorious times and the, 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 the happy uh, occasion of our worship together. He's present in the times of our sorrows. He's present in the times of our battles and conflicts. And how then do you respond, though, to that presence? I mean, besides with, with faith, and it's a general overarching concept, but the psalmist gives us some clues even here about how you cry out, how in, God, in the presence of God, how you react to his presence. First of all, verse 1 Notice that the psalmist seeking is not casual. We need to be earnestly seeking him. I think all too often we take his presence for granted if we think about it at all. And then we wonder why we get discouraged. We need to be earnestly seeking him following this example. Also in verse 1, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You have uh, my soul thirsts, my flesh faints or longs for you. Again, this is just a, this is another way of, of speaking about the earnestness of our seeking him. We'll give it its own due and say whether longingly you need to be crying out in God's presence. When, uh, I'll, I'll tell a little story on Heath. It's a sweet story. Um, because really I was thinking about him uh, this past year and uh, his pursuit of his now fiance. To say that Heath pursued her Longingly is the understatement of the year. Every waking moment, <laughs> um, he's, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure, every waking moment was consumed with not just her and her wonderful qualities and character and all that. I'm like, are you blushing now yet? Um, but not just that, but how is this going to come about? How am I going to get her here? How, how, how is this relationship going to go forward? All those things. It consumed everything. Nothing casual about that at all. His heart was filled with longing for her. A longing that the Lord is satisfying. Praise Him. But I think sometimes we pursue the Lord with a rather ho-hum. You know, I, I, I filled up my tank somewhere else, so I'm really not that thirsty. I found my joy in something else, so I'm not really longing after him. My heart's not really fainting after him. Uh, something else will do as well. Beloved, it will not. 
Nothing will do as well as God Himself. So long after Him in His presence. Be thirsty for Him. He alone is the source of living water that can give you eternal life. And then there's a, there's a big emphasis in this psalm, which is wonderful, about the manner of your, your re- response to Him and your seeking Him. And verses 3 through 5, um, you're stead- because your faithfulness, your covenant loyalty, your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, I will bless you as long as I live, in your name I will lift up my hands, My soul will be satisfied. My mouth will praise you. You get the idea? (laughs) Then look down at verse 8. My soul clings to you. Verse 11. The king shall rejoice. All who swear by God shall exult. There should be presence, uh, joy in the presence of God. In your presence is fullness of joy. Coming to the Lord's house, among the Lord's people, to hear God's word, to fellowship with him by his spirit, should be something that makes our hearts just overflow with joy. If it doesn't, it's not a problem with the king. It's a problem with us. We need to be crying out joyfully in his presence even sometimes when that joy uh, is pouring out in the midst of tears because of the hardships that are around us. And look at verse 4, or rather, sorry, uh, verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Bob Jones Sr., Um, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say that when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh worthless. And he's pulling that thought out of verses like this one. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. The Lord satisfies us. And when you've got, when you uh, finish that big meal, we've got Thanksgiving coming up. A little while. Um, everyone ready to do their beached whale impression? I am. <laughs> when you're satisfied, you don't want anything else. You're content. You sit back, and in the warmth of that contentment, it's like, oh, this is awesome. Because of God's provision there, in just something as mundane as a big meal. How satisfied are you with the Lord? Are you content with him? Do you find that he is enough? Or are you always looking over the next spiritual horizon for something else that can satisfy your soul? When God is present among us, he is enough. Be content with him. Contentment should characterize your response to him, your seeking uh, him in his presence. Verse 6, also in his presence, look at this. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night, in the watches of the night, 
talking about praising you when he does those things. I want to focus on the verbs there. Part of being in God's presence is not just slapdash, come in, do whatever you want to do carelessly and go your merry way. It is meditative. It's thoughtful. It's careful. It's mulling over the things that you're seeing. Not just going, yep, read that, good, next. But really considering the things of God with a, a determined and concentrated and focused mind as you meditate upon this one who loved us, who gave himself for us, this one who is the creator of all and yet is concerned with the small details of our lives. This one who, though we were uh, yet we were enemies, still, nonetheless, Christ died for us. Does that not bear meditating with wonder? I won't say disbelief, but I think you know what I'm saying. Just that it's so incredible to consider. Um, meditate upon him in his presence. Be thoughtful. Uh, believers, not just those that uh, waltz through and look at the pretty colors, as it were, and miss the reality of his presence. And then, verses 7 and 8, also, in, as he's remembering and meditating in the watches of the night, he's, he's praising you with joyful lips, uh, praising the Lord with joyful lips. Why? Because God, he says, you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. My, your right hand upholds me. This is an absolute gorgeous picture of trust. Of the, of the, the infant birds, fledgling birds, crouching under the outspread wings of the mother, finding safety and security there knowing that God's hand is upholding. There's absolute faith and trust here. There's, when we're facing the trials of life, it is so easy, is it not, to want to wrest the control of our lives out of God's hand and take it back to ourselves so no, we can do it better. But in God's presence... What an insult to the God of glory. Let us respond to his presence through his word, by his spirit, among his people, with confidence and trust that he has our affairs well in hand. And therefore, we should not despair. We should not fear. You remember um, from those of you who have been here for a while and have been with us through the Second Corinthians series, that Paul goes through a pretty big laundry list in chapters 10 and 11 about all the things that he endured. It's a pretty long list, remember that? A really long list of hardship, difficulty, um, people trying to put him to death, all that, all that stuff. But he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. 
Come into his presence. Yes, with singing. Yes, with joy. But come with trust and confidence that your life is firmly held in the hands of the one who will never let you go and who will always provide for you what you need, regardless of what the circumstances look like. Dear friends, even if you wanted to, you could not escape God's presence. Psalm 139 and verse 8 reads, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Find peace and safety and comfort and joy in his protecting, guiding, upholding presence. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious passage that encourages us to trust you to run to the safety of your arms, to hide under your wings because there is safety in your presence. Lord, we need it. Encourage our hearts, fill us with joy, even in times of sorrow. Joy that comes from the comfort of your presence with us. Thank you for that promise. We, and we pray that we would live in the the uh, light of that promise at every moment. We pray these things in Christ's blessed name. Amen.